Luke chapter number 10 and verse number 30. Luke chapter number 10 and verse number 30. And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jericho, or down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, and wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side, and likewise a Levite. When he was at the place, came and looked on him, and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, had compassion on him, and when went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again I will repay thee. And which of these three thinkest thou was the neighbor unto him that fell upon him? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. And Jesus said, Go and do thou likewise. All right, but two envelopes this morning. And say these two envelopes um, come in the mail. And this one is from a letter from a lawyer saying the IRS needs to talk to you. Needs to talk to you about some of your taxes. Now, on this letter over here is a letter from another lawyer. And this lawyer says you had a rich uncle somewhere that you didn't know that you had. And he's passed away. And we need to talk about some of his inheritance. Now, you open up this letter and it says the, the IRS is going to audit you. And they're going to go by all the federal laws. And they're going to go back through all your spending and through uh, every purchase that you made for the last 20 years. And they're going to make sure that every time you bought something outside the state of West Virginia that you accounted for it correctly. They're going to go through every federal law. And so as long as you have kept all the federal laws, you don't have anything to worry about. This letter over here says, you come to the office, and we'll talk about how much money that your rich uncle's left you. Now, I'm going to, if I left these here up here, and you could you could choose whichever path that you wanted, which which envelope would you rather have? Wh which envelope do you think is good news? Well, I know which one I think is good news. I think the one that has the inheritance in it. That sounds like good news to me. I would uh, I'd probably start sweating just as, as soon as I saw the IRS in the letter. Right? Well, no one wants that letter. Two big differences, isn't there, between? Keeping the law and a free gift. Well, there is a distinction in the scripture. There's, this, there's a big difference between the law and the gospel. Now, this parable that I read in Luke chapter 10, there are some people who will say, well, this is the gospel. When Jesus told him to go and do. This is gospel. It talks about eternal life, talks about doing good things and and being a good neighbor, this is gospel. Where do you find it? Well, you find it in the gospel according to Luke. Who said it? Jesus said it. That's good news. But is this parable good news? Is this parable gospel? Well, this morning I'm going to answer the question with the title of the sermon, The Good Samaritan and Bad News. What's the point of this parable? 
What's Jesus telling us in this parable? Um, what was the point he's, he's making here? And so what we're going to do is we're going to think about, first of all, just the, how to look at this parable, how to interpret this parable. And then we're going to see what Jesus, the point that Jesus is making. And then we'll come to, back to the decision at the end of what, whether this was good news or bad news. Well, what's the law? Law is do this or else. IRS has law, right? Pay this or else. Well, I don't want to pay it. Doesn't matter. I did my best to pay it. Doesn't matter. I thought I was doing the best I could. Doesn't matter. I tried my best and I filled out the forms according to what I thought they were and I thought I did everything right. Doesn't matter. This is the law. You do this or else. That's what the law in the old covenant is do this and live. Well, if you don't do that, well, you're under the curse of the law. What does gospel mean? Well, the word gospel means good news. And it's, it's a declaration. It's like if um, you would use it in those times where the army would come through and the army would defeat the enemy and someone would come back with, with good news. We, we've defeated the enemy. We're no longer at war. We're victorious in our battle. It's good news. It's a declaration of good news. Well, the good news of the Bible is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for sinners. He was buried and rose from the dead. And by grace, if we, we have faith in Jesus and Jesus alone, we'll receive everlasting life. That we're free from the guilt of the law and the condemnation of the law. And we have everlasting life uh, with him. That we just believe in what Christ has done for us and rest in those promises. That is good news. Well, does this story, this parable, tell us good news? Is this good news for us this morning that we should look and say, read this parable and say, that is, that is good news. That is gospel. I'm going to say, no, no, it doesn't. Well, I kind of set you up a little bit this morning um, in asking the question and my choice of text. Because we started in verse number 30. Now, why did I set you up? Well, I only read part of it. I didn't read the whole thing. I read half of it. Because when you read a parable, somebody's telling a story, you know, there's usually a point to a story. Right? Just think about normal conversation. Somebody, um, somebody, you run into somebody and they say, I'm sorry, I'm late, I had a flat tire. And that reminds you of a funny story. And you tell them, that story. Well, why did you tell the story about a flat tire? Because somebody had one. It was in context. Or somebody shows up late um, to some place you're going to go and you tell a story about how somebody showed up late one time and, and it ended in disaster. Well, what's the point of that story? Well, you better not be late next time. <laughs> you got a point to it. Well, why did Jesus just didn't randomly show up to somebody and tell them the story about the, uh, this good Samaritan? There's a point to this. I did you a disservice this morning by reading only the story part, which could lead you to misunderstand it. Well, look in verse number 30. What's the clue that I messed up? What's the clue that I didn't tell you the whole thing? Well, and Jesus answering said. Answering who? Answering what? Jesus is telling some, this is a reply Jesus is making to somebody 
based upon what they said before. Now look in verse 36 and 37. Now which of these three thinkest thou? Who's thou? Who's Jesus talking to? In verse 37, and he said, well, that's who Jesus is talking about. Who's he? All right, these are very important facts that we need to figure out if we want to know why Jesus told the story of this parable of the Good Samaritan. The parable is an answer to something that someone else said. And then Jesus has a punchline at the end that makes this guy come back. And then Jesus says, we'll go and do likewise. So we can't really understand what this parable is about until we figure out who Jesus is talking to and why he's, he is answering uh, whatever that guy had to say. So we got to back up. We got to back up all the way to verse 25. And it says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering, Thou shalt love the Lord with all thy Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength, and with all thy might, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, do this, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, So that story, we're just, you know, we're a pretty good bit into the conversation of what's going on here. And and this is the answer to that question. Who's Jesus talking to? Well, he's talking to a certain lawyer. Now, it's not a lawyer like I was talking about that would deal with inheritance law or IRS law or financial law. This guy was an Old Testament scholar, we might say. He spent his whole life studying the Bible. That's the lawyer, the kind of lawyer we're talking about. He was probably a Levite, and that was his expertise, was the law of Moses. So he's one of the guys that you could have went to in, in Israel and asked him about the law, and he would have told you all you wanted to know and more about the law. Who wrote it? What, it, what does it mean? How does it apply? And he would have known what the text says. He would have known what all the other scribes and the, 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 the commentators and he would have known what everybody's opinion was, and he would have had an opinion. And he said, well, I'm of this school of thought concerning this law and, and all these types of things. This guy knew the law front ways and back. And we know this because of the answer that he says a little bit later on. So that's who Jesus is talking to. Well, why did this lawyer come and talk to him? Because he wanted to know, he wanted to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn something? Well, no, he came and tempted him. This lawyer believed that he knew more about the law than Jesus did, and he said, well, I'm going to come with my knowledge of the law, and I'll tempt him. I'll I'll trip him up, because he's probably not thought as much about the law. You know, this unlearned man from Nazareth, this Galilean, he didn't know anything. He didn't go to seminary. He didn't go to school like me. I'm going to trip him up. So he asked him, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? All right, there you go, eternal life, right? That's, is that law of gospel? Eternal life is good, right? Whosoever believeth in me shall not perish but have everlasting life. So is that talking about the gospel? Well, what, what's the question that he asked? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, is that... 
do? Is that grace or is that works? This lawyer talking about the law, that what do I need to do? What do I need to accomplish that I could inherit everlasting life? What is it that I need to do? Well, that he's talking about the law. He's not asking, Lord, I'm a sinner. How can I be justified before God? He didn't say, I have broken God's law. How can I be right before God? He said, what is it I need to do that I can go to heaven? Well, Jesus says, well, what's the law say about it? In verse 26, that's basically what he's saying. You're the lawyer, you tell me what the law says about it. How do you understand what the law says? Well, then he says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. Love. Is that the law or that the gospel? If the law is to do something, thou shalt do something. Well, that's the law, isn't it? Just because it says love doesn't mean it's the gospel. This is the law. It's a command. In fact, all the commandments hang on those two principles. Thou shalt love the Lord God with everything that you've got, body and soul, and strength and mind, and you should love your neighbor, not just love him, but love him as yourself. It's actually the correct answer. It's a, it's a good answer to the question Jesus asked. Because Jesus said, Thou hast answered right. And that Greek, or the Greek word translated right, orthos, is where we get our word for orthodoxy. So he said, that's an orthodox answer. That is a correct and true answer to what I ask you. The Bible does, the, the Old Testament the, does say that's what you have to do. You want to know what you have to do to have everlasting life? Well, love God with everything that you have and love your neighbor as yourself. This do and thou shalt live. Jesus, quoting from Leviticus 18.5, Ye shall therefore keep my statutes, my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord. Jesus says, very good, Mr. Lawyer, you're right. Now, go love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, and you'll be fine. You want eternal life? That's, that's what you have to do. Now, is that law or is that the gospel? Well, that's not good news. Is that good news to say all you have to do is keep the, keep the law? Well, I guess it just depends on how you define it, doesn't it? Because you might read that and say, well, I love God. And I try to help my neighbors as much as I can. And I don't hate my neighbor, and I, I donate to charity, and I, somebody's got a flat tire, I'll pull over and help them. And, and I do all that I can. That's not what the law says. It doesn't say do it as best as you can. It doesn't say love God as best as you can and love your neighbor as best as you can. It says love God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And with all your mind, not part of your mind, not the Sunday morning part of your mind, all of your mind and all of your strength 
everything that you have all the time without fail. Because it says, if you shall do them, and if he shall live in them, you will have life. Not if you do it most of the time. Right? That, that is the law. That's not good news for sinners. That's not good news for, for wicked sinners. That's condemning. And so it's very interesting what the lawyer says, because this hit the lawyer right between the eyes, and you can tell that because he says, well, who's my neighbor? Why did he ask that? Because people can't tell what you're thinking about. People can't tell what you're feeling. And he can cover up. I mean, if he's a Levite, well, that's his job, right? If he's a lawyer, his job is to know the Bible. And so, from instead of going out and plowing fields and, or taking care of cattle or herding sheep or whatever it is that they were doing, he'd go and read the Bible. That was his job. The Levites were uh, the other people they provided for them so they could do the priest work. And, and so that was his job. And so he could pretty easily cover up the fact that that he loved God. I mean, he could, he could probably justify himself before others. But loving your neighbor as yourself, that was something that somebody could look at him and say, I wonder if he's really doing that. And whenever he says that, love your neighbor as yourself, I think it convicted him. He said, well, who's my neighbor? Let's get into the distinctions here. Who's my neighbor? Who is it that I, I have to love? Why? Because he justified himself. He justified himself by defining who his neighbor was. And that's what we do. Well, I love God. I go to church. and um, I listen to gospel music. I love God. Well, we've lowered the standard of what it means to love God with all of our soul and our strength and our mind. We've lowered it to the point to where we uh, can can do it in our mind. We justify ourselves. And that's what the lawyer is doing here. Well, who's my neighbor? Let me lower the standard of the law down to the point where I keep it, and then I'll justify myself. Not what does God say and what does God require, but how can I lower this to make sure that I'm keeping it? That, that's not obeying the law. We do this by nature. You might say, well, that's just the way I am. That's just my personality. I can't help it. That's just the way I am, this sinful attribute. Everybody else does it. Well, you don't know my situation. Well, I'm a man. That's just the way men are. Well, I'm a woman. That's just the way women are. No, that's justifying yourself. That's justifying sin. Making excuses. And saying, well, here's all the reasons why I can't keep the law. And here's all the reasons why the law doesn't apply to me. Because I'm this and I'm that and, and all these other things. This is what the lawyer's doing. Here's all the reasons why I don't have to love everyone as my neighbor. 
That way I'm free from the condemnation of the law. Who is it that I have to love? You can think about it another, the opposite way. Who is it I don't have to love? Because if he's saying, who is my neighbor? What he's really saying is, who is not my neighbor? Who do I not have to love? Who is it that I can pass by? And who is it that I am required to take care of? Because as a Jewish man, he's thinking, well, I can take care of my fellow lawyers. I can take care of my fellow Jews. Certainly not Gentile. Certainly not uh, some, some heathen. So it's just the people in my community, the people that I like, the people that are like me. Well, is Jesus evangelizing this man? Well, what Jesus is doing is showing this man his sin. This man is self-righteous. This man came with the attitude that he knew more than, about the law than Jesus. He came that he was an expert in the law, and he knows the law. This man knows the law, but he is, he is dead in trespasses and sin. He is self-righteous because he believes that he perfectly keeps the law. And Jesus knows that he doesn't perfectly keep the law, and he knows that he justifies himself. Because how can a person be an expert in the law and then think that they're righteous? How can you be an expert in what the Bible says about the do this and don't do that of the Scripture and then think that you're perfect? But the only way you can do that is if you justify yourself and, and lower the standard. So that's why Jesus tells a story. And Jesus answering said, so why does he tell this? Because Jesus is going to show that not only do you not keep the law, but you are guilty and condemned under the law. And that there's no hope for you in the keeping of the law to be justified before God. Now, the parable, what, what's this parable mean? Well, there's all kinds of interpretations. Um, there was a man named Origen who lived from 185 to 253. And he developed a, a way of reading the scriptures where you have different methods. You take the literal meaning of the text, and then you add a moral meaning to the text, and you have a spiritual meaning to the text. So there's three meanings to the text, according to this man. And so you take every instance and everything in this text, and it represents something. So the man that was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, um, he was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So that must mean that Jerusalem was the heavenly Garden of Eden, and he's going down into sin. So the, the man was Adam. Um, the priests and the Levites, of course, Old Testament. The Levites, the law. Uh, the Samaritan in this story represents Jesus. The oil was the Holy Spirit. The wine was the gospel. Or another, as another one said, the, the oil and the wine is baptism and the Lord's Supper. The inn is the church where the sinner is restored. The innkeeper is the bishop or the preacher or the pope. No matter, depends on who was, who was saying it. So this all sounds very spiritual. But the problem is it just... I just mixed and matched a bunch of those that I had read or heard interpretations of. Um, but it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? Well, one, it says the man was half dead. So if you're going to take that, that means that sinners aren't dead and their trespasses and sins are just half dead. 
And then if you're going to keep on reading and saying if the oil and wine is the Holy Spirit and the gospel, well, that means the Holy Spirit and the gospel doesn't really save you. It just gets you good enough that you get to the church, and that's where you get healed is is that church and, and so forth. There's too many inconsistencies in that way of looking at it. And plus, if you thought about it long enough, you could probably come up with a couple different other um, inferences or uh, allegorical statements from that. And then who's right? Well, if you think the the beast represents one thing, and I think it represents something else, well, who's who's right? How do you know who's right? Well, the Bible becomes an unsolvable puzzle and a mystery book that nobody can understand. And then everybody takes their own meaning. What well, means this to me, and it means that to to you and, and all these types of things. And the Bible has no meaning, if that's the case. So what do we do? Well, what we want to do is look at this parable for what it is, a parable. It's comparing something. Now, think about it this way. Your child or your grandchild comes up and asks you a question. And you know what they're doing. They're not asking the question because they uh, want to know the answer. You know, they might want to ask a question. Well, uh, Dad or Grandpa, what do you what do you think about um, people who don't let uh, young children drive their their vehicles? What do you think about that? You think that's a bad thing not to to allow people to, to borrow their vehicles? <laughs> you know, some kind of clever thing like that, like a kid might say, right? So you know what he's doing. And you stop and you think, and you say, well, I'm not just going to come out and say, I'm going to tell him a story. And then you've got a point to this story, and you're going to tell the story to drive home the point. We all do that, don't we? We all, to try to get a point across, we'll have to come up with an example, an illustration to drive, drive that home. And you tell that story, and then it answers the question for the child. Um, and so that's what a parable is. They're talking about keeping the law and justifying yourself, what you have to do to inherit eternal life. He says, well, who's my neighbor? Who do I have to help? So Jesus is going to, instead of saying, well, you just don't understand the law, he said, let me tell you a story. And when Jesus tells these parables, what it does is it makes the person stop and listen to the story, first of all. And then, they're such perfect parables, it makes them stop and say, oh, yeah, busted. I know what you're getting at, and not only are you right, but I see that I'm very wrong. This guy, I mean, how is, how is this law you're supposed to know that the innkeeper is the church in Luke chapter number 10? I mean, how, how is he supposed to put all these things together? If it's talking about something um, you know, how, how is he supposed to draw all these connections that wouldn't even have been um, recognizable to him? Well, we read it as a parable. Now you have to, you say, well, why is there um, an innkeeper and why is there a beast and all these other things? Well, you have to, if you're going to tell a story, you have to have characters in the story. You know, sometimes they'll have an allegorical meaning to it, but in those cases, Jesus tells us what they are. Like in the sower that went forth to sow and he threw the seeds over here and, and, and some in the thorny ground and some of the birds came. Well, Jesus tells us what the, each one of those things mean. 
But if he doesn't tell us what we mean, we can't just add our own meaning to, to all these things. What we need to do is take the story and say, well, who are the characters that we're reading about here? Who's Jesus talking to? He's talking to a lawyer. Well, the lawyer asked him, who's my neighbor? So what did Jesus do? Well, he answered with a story about who his neighbor was. So now we know the point of it. Then we look and say, well, who's the main characters of this parable? Who gets the most attention? Who gets the most attention at the end of the story? Well, it's the Samaritan, right? Why? For taking care of the wounded man. So those are the two main people of the story, the, the wounded man and the Samaritan. Then you might say, well, what's the punchline that Jesus says? Verse number six is the punchline. This is the point. Which of these three, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, are the neighbor? So you say, oh, okay, so now the point of this is to try to figure out who the neighbor is. So now we know that the, the two main guys are the Samaritan and the, the wounded guy. We know the point of the story is to try to figure out who the neighbor is, not to figure out who the beast was, and not to figure out the purpose of the oil and the wine, but the purpose of this parable is to say, well, who's my neighbor? That's what the lawyer asked. That's what Jesus asked the lawyer back at the end of the story. That's the point. He's telling a story about the law. Quite opposite of the gospel. So now we get to, to what Jesus meant by the parable. And so we can't take what we think about these things and add them into it. We have to say, what was Jesus getting at? Now, whenever I say Samaritan, I heard somebody else say this, and I thought it was a good point. So uh, not an original illustration, but it was pretty good. When I say Samaritan, what do you think about? First thing that pops in your mind, what, what do you think about? Well, whenever I think of Samaritan, I think of good. That's the first thing that pops in my mind, good Samaritan. Um, maybe you think of a hospital, the good Samaritan hospital, or maybe you think of Samaritan's Purse. I was down in Kentucky not too long ago after the flood, and, and there was Samaritan's Purse, that organization, that charitable organization. You might think of giving and charity and compassion. Well, that's all because of the parables, why you would think that. But whenever Jesus said Samaritan, that's not what the lawyer thought about. He didn't think of charity and hospitals and giving. This lawyer thought something very different because if you go all the way back in the Old Testament, after Solomon died, his boy took over the throne. And the people said, we've been paying taxes under your dad for a long time, and we want you to lower the taxes. Well, Solomon's advisor said, well, that's probably a pretty good idea, lower the taxes. And, and Solomon's peers, or, or Rehoboam's peers said, well, if you give an inch, they'll take a mile. Don't let these people come in here and your first uh, little bit in office and, and start telling you what you're going to do. You're the king. You tell them what they're going to do. And Rehoboam said, well, I like that idea. And he goes out and said, well, I'm the boss around here. And you thought my dad was hard. Well, you ain't seen nothing yet. You're not only going to pay taxes, you're going to do more. Well, Jeroboam was the leader of that group, and that didn't sit too well with him. And he said, well, you know, not only are we not going to pay taxes, we don't even recognize you as a king anymore. We're going to have our own country. So Israel was split in two. And the ten tribes went with Jeroboam in the north, and from there on out, Israel was two nations. So you had Judah in Jerusalem, 
And then the, the tribes to the north was Israel. And Jeroboam was the king. And their capital city was not Jerusalem, but Samaria. Jeroboam reintroduced golden calf worship. And Israel, the northern kingdom, pretty much a train wreck from the start all the way until the Assyrians come through and, and they were dispersed. Well, whenever the Assyrians came in, they, they conquered um, Israel and there was intermarriages and then the religion of the north comes in. And so you have a group of people whose ancestors were Jews who knew the Ten Commandments, knew about Moses and tabernacle and worship. But they also had relatives on the other side of the family and, and the other people are coming in that worship Baal and all these false gods. And so they combined them. And so they had a little bit of truth with a little bit of error. And they're just sort of a, a mixed race of people. And even though they were cousins to the Jews, they were they're as good as Gentiles, Samaritans were. So if you would have went to a priest or a Levite or a lawyer of the law, and so what do you think about Samaritans? He wouldn't have said, charitable, compassionate. He wouldn't have thought good. He would have thought low-down, dirty dogs is what they are. That's what he thought when he heard Samaritan. Now, what did you think about whenever you, I say priest? I know what my family probably thinks of, but uh, you might think of Aaron. You might think of Catholics. You might think of Father Brown Mysteries. or you know, There's all kinds of things you might think of when priest. Well, when he heard priest, he heard holy man, Man after Moses. Man in the law. Alright, so if we're going to understand what Jesus is saying, we need to think about what these words mean. Not what we think they mean, but what or what would they mean to us now, but what would this Samaritan or what this uh, lawyer thought about? So when you read this story, the Samaritan is starting out is not the good guy. The good guy is the priest and the Levites in this lawyer's mind. So of these three people, the low-down, dirty Samaritan, the holy priest, and the religious Levite, you get down to the end, and Jesus says, now which of these three was the neighbor of that guy that got beat up? Now, there's a plot twist here, because the lawyer said, who is my neighbor? Saying, who do I have to love, and who don't I have to love? But Jesus said, by the actions of these three men, one of these men has proven himself to be the neighbor. The lawyer would have walked down the road and said, well, who's my neighbor? But, but uh, that's, not what, uh, that's not what he said. So let's think about the story here for a second. So this guy is coming down from Jericho. And... Um, the guy's coming down from Jericho and or from Jerusalem towards Jericho and there's these thieves waiting for him and he gets robbed and he's beaten stripped of everything left on the side of the road half dead so you're walking down uh, through Charleston and you take a turn down the alley and there's this guy laying there bloodied and beaten and stripped and just laying there moaning and groaning. That's kind of 
this scene that we have here. Well, this priest comes walking down the road, and he sees a man laying there, and he crosses the road on the other side to avoid him. And the Levite comes and does the same thing. Well, man, this guy, if I touch him, I'll be ceremonially unclean. Well, this guy's probably a drunk. Probably got some kind of disease. He's probably been laying out all night drunk and got into a fight and just laying there now and look at him, that old mess. I don't know what he's doing. I just want to leave him on the side of the road where he belongs. Well, here comes a Samaritan. He's traveling down the road. And he sees this man and just stops. This guy's in bad shape. Somebody doesn't help this guy, he's going to die. He didn't ask him who he was. He didn't ask him how he got in this condition. He didn't ask him um, how, how, what his religious views were. He didn't ask him who his family was. He sees a guy laying on the side of the road, beaten to a pulp, bleeding, and he's going to die if somebody doesn't help him. So he just stops, and he goes... And he binds up his wounds. He takes wine and oil and puts them on his wounds. You might say, well, why do you use wine and oil? Well, he forgot his neosporin at the house. <laughs> well, what else is he going to put on it, right? So, I mean, he's got oil and wine there. He has to put something on it. The, the alcohol and the wine has, uh, has uh, antiseptic properties. And, and the oil probably made it feel better and... He just took, takes care of him. And he takes him and binds up his wounds and he puts him on the animal and he walks him to the inn and takes care of him. The next morning, he goes and pays the innkeeper and says, look, um, this guy's still in rough shape. I don't know how long he's going to be here. Here's some money um, to, to help him and if, if he needs more, just go ahead and give it to him and I'll pay you when I come back through. Now what's the point? Well, Jesus asked, now which of these three are the neighbors? Two of these people just ignored him and walked on by. But who is the neighbor? Now see, the, the, that's the question that this lawyer was asking. Well, who's my neighbor? Who do I have to help? Well, that Levite and that priest walked and said, well, he's not my neighbor. He's not my neighbor. I don't know who this guy is. I don't know why he's in such bad shape. He might be a Gentile. He might have deserved it. I got to get to. I got to get to Jerusalem. He's not my neighbor. I got. I got other things to do. Well, the Samaritan didn't say, "Is this guy my neighbor?" But he looked at a guy he comes in contact with, who is who is hurting, who needs mercy and help, and he says, "I'm going to help this guy." He didn't say, do I have to help this guy? He says, here's a guy in my path that, I, that I'm going to help. Here's a guy that, I, that needs me. Here's a guy that needs me to, to show mercy on him. You see the difference just in the question. Jesus rightly understood that he was saying, who do I not have to help? Where's the line that I can draw where I don't have to help people? And Jesus said, if you're going to love your neighbor as yourself, whenever you don't 
come to somebody that needs help and say, well, is this person technically my neighbor or, or can I just bypass him? He says, no. To keep his commandment perfectly, you have mercy on, on anybody you come in contact with. The neighbor was the one who showed mercy and compassion. Not, do I have to help this guy? Is he technically my neighbor? Right? There's a big difference there. And Jesus shows him what the true sense of the law is. To love your neighbor doesn't say, well, who should I show mercy on and who should I not? To love your neighbor as yourself is just to show mercy. To show not to show mercy to people you can get something back from, not just to your family, not just to people you like, not to people who are just like you the most, but it is to show love and compassion. That's the point. And the guy says, well, who, who's your neighbor? And he says, well, the one that showed mercy. And Jesus said, that's right. Now you go do and, like, go and do thou likewise. Now, is that good news? Is that good news? Maybe as I was talking about that, you thought of times in your life where you could have shown mercy, but you didn't. Or you should have shown mercy, and you, and you didn't do it. I know when I think about this, and when I thought about this, I thought of times where I should have shown mercy, where I could have shown compassion that I did and I didn't do it perfectly and entirely and exactly and, and continually. That's what to keep the law is. It's not to do it once, but to keep it perfectly and to do it from front to back and do it entirely and exactly as it said and do it perpetually forever and ever and ever. I thought about times when I've lacked mercy. And then I think about times when I tried to justify myself and why I didn't. That's not gospel. That's the law. That's not good news to go thou and do go and do thou likewise. When the when the question is what shall I do to eternal life? And Jesus says, We'll keep the law perfectly, entirely, exactly, and perpetually for all generations. You know what we ought to do? We ought to walk away sad. Because that's the point of this parable. Is that we don't keep the law. We are not perfect. We haven't loved our neighbor as ourselves. This is a standard by which we are to compare ourselves to and see that we fail and we lack. The lawyer says, what do I have to do to go to heaven? Jesus says, all you have to do is be perfect. And the lawyer says, be perfect by my standards? No, Jesus says, no, 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 be perfect by God's standards. And, and God's standards are, are a lot higher than, than what you think they are. So why did Jesus tell this to this man? Why didn't he just say, why didn't he just say, well, believe on me and you'll be go to heaven? Because this man didn't think he was a sinner. This man thought he was perfect already. He didn't need a savior. Why do perfect people need forgiven of sins they don't commit? So Jesus tells this story to convict him of a sin. That's the purpose of the law. That's what the law is supposed to do. Condemn. Not to save, but condemn. The law says to love God and your neighbor, and we don't do that. So that leaves us guilty, just like this lawyer, guilty and condemned. Now, if this lawyer had been wise, what should he have said? He should have said, well, I, I haven't. 
what must I do to be saved? That would have been, that's the next question. That would have been the, the next follow-up. Because the law is designed to condemn us, that we can't keep it. Well, but he just walked away, apparently. So here is some good news for you, though. You say, well, I haven't kept, I haven't loved God with all my heart, and I haven't loved my neighbor as myself. So the question then ought to be is not what can I do to earn an everlasting life, is what can I do to be forgiven? See, there was a man born under the law who loved God with all of his heart and soul and mind and strength, and there was a man who perfectly, entirely, exactly, and perpetually loved neighbor as himself. The man who's telling the story. Jesus was born under the law and kept all the law in its fullness. And Jesus is our representative that keeps the law for his people. That truly loves neighbor as himself. And the gospel is, the good news is, that you don't, that, that you have broken the law, but there is a one who kept the law for us. There is one who forgives us of our sins. There is one who forgives us of the times when we didn't keep the law. That by faith we receive both forgiveness of sins and the righteousness of Christ. The good news is that Jesus is a savior of sinners. And that we look at the law and say, I'm a sinner. And then we look to Christ and then we see a savior. The good Samaritan should teach us that we are not good. And that we need someone to deliver us and save us from our sins. Now you can remain under the law. Now if you want to take that envelope and uh, with the, the IRS statement and say, well I want to live under the law and I want to be rewarded by the law. But cursed is everyone who doesn't remain in that law. You say, I want to live under the law. Okay, that's what Jesus says. That's, go ahead. But you got to keep it perfectly. You can't fail. You're going to live under the law. Well, you're going to, you're going to die under the law. That's what's going to happen. But there's another way. There's the way of grace. The way where Jesus, as your representative, lives for you and dies for you, that he gives you his righteousness and he forgives you of your sins, that you say, not by my works, but by thy works, O Christ. Not by my hand, but by your grace and mercy. You and I both know that you can't keep the law and you haven't kept it. But the good news is that Jesus saves sinners. He saves those who did not do and therefore has to die because he did do, the, do all things for us and now it's done. The law was kept and now it's done. The sins are paid for and now it's done. There is no do left us, for us in earning everlasting life. Jesus says, well, if you're going to stay under the law, go and do likewise. That's bad news. But it's good news he says, well, come unto me and I'll give you rest. Come unto me and I'll give you salvation. Come unto me and I'll give you righteousness that you can't earn and, and uh, forgiveness that you don't have. Come unto me and I'll give you rest. Law or gospel? Well, I'll, I'll take gospel. I'll take grace. I'll take grace. May the Lord help us uh, this morning to, to 
to live in the grace of God and be thankful for the grace in Christ Jesus.